Live from Columbus, Ohio, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I welcome on myself uh, to uh, review my character for the upcoming Curse of the Crimson Throne adventure run, play a round of backup roulette, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. we're back and we're back <laughs> what a great start to the what live a, what show a great intro. yeah i can't believe uh they say that what fourth time is not the charm so i was actually thinking that third time's the charm because we had a great third show and then you just kind of start over with four do you do you start over from square one because this was very much like zot one yeah i i would i would say so how are you doing today, Griff? I was doing better before you fucked that up, bud. Well, we're I'm, doing, doing, I'm doing good now. I'm doing all good right, now. all right. Well, I'm doing well, too. What are you drinking today? I'm having a boozy coffee right now. It's got peanut butter whiskey in it. And then I'll be moving on to several bottles and cans of side action I've got going on. That's right. We're going to be drinking the same side action today. Um, the first beer I'm starting on is a North High Brewing Company beer. It's their Honey Wheat Beer. Then later, I'll be moving on over to a 312 from Goose Island. So let's crack this bad boy open. That was well coordinated. It's the kind of thing people uh, people come to the live show for. Pure professionalism. Yep. All right. Speaking about pure professionalism and a very locked in show i'm gonna go ahead and start up the sirenscape this is from the wagon journey sound set it is camping where the bard plays all right griff nice i like that i like this me too this is a good one it's a repeater isn't it it is i checked this morning you did it you did it i'm glad you checked that that's right all right so we're gonna start up top with a little housekeeping okay So for those of you that are listening live today or catch this on the day of release, Griff and I are going to be joining our friends at the Southern Tomfoolery podcast for their live Tom Talks that's on twitch.tv slash Southern Tomfoolery. That is going to be Monday, the uh, March 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So check us out there. That's a lot of fun. Um, And besides that... What are we talking about there, though? What are we talking about? Hades Tomfoolery. We've uh, we finished book two of Attack of the Swarm with those guys. It's very exciting. And, and how are you enjoying it so far? Oh, I've been having a blast. I really enjoy playing my character Sigurd on that show. Yes. Uh, and it's been nice to get to play a little bit of Starfinder. I know we kind of, as a group, fell off of Starfinder a little bit just because things get busy and we're primarily a Pathfinder show. But uh, it's good to get back in. It's really fun to play uh, a Vanguard because... This is the first time I've played Starfinder since mm-hmm. the character operations manual came out. Yeah, you're right. Like we haven't we we played Dead Sons and then we didn't play until this. Yeah, the com came out long after our Dead Sons wrapped up. Um, and yeah, I I am also playing a very fun character. I'm playing the Heal Bot, a uh, a mystic android who heals people called Natasi, and I had so much fun doing it. But we're gonna talk about all of that live Monday the fifteenth at eight. PM 
Eastern Time live with the uh, with the HTF or the uh, the STF boys. Yep, so much fun. Also, quick reminder for everybody that subscribes at five dollar and up tier for our show on Patreon, you are already entered to win a dice giveaway. It's the Dreamscape Deep Space Metal set. So if you're on the fence about whether or not to subscribe to the Patreon, uh, check it out. You might win some free dice. Yeah, I mean, if you can't wait that long, just buy it on their site using hideous-mark. M-A-R. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they actually, they, so they have a new dice release every week. I don't know if people know that, but... I don't I, think I knew that till recently. <laughs> I, I usually buy stuff, so I time like mm-hmm. the, I time until I've gotten a good release, and I'm because I know you can only use the code once a month. So I'm like, ooh, Oops. the set that came out today. I'm, I'm using it for Reeve. Ooh, sounds very good and exciting. Um, Griffin, let's keep the show rolling. What's been going on in your life, man? What you been up to? Oh man, you might see that uh, the locks are gone. Uh, they're not all gone. They're under my hat, but I've been having a journey with doing an undercut and bleaching my hair and trying to dye my hair, and it's not complete yet, so it's not uh, fully unveiled. Maybe next month's uh, live Zot. Yep. But uh, beyond that, been watching some Demon Slayer, the anime. Ooh. It's really good. I think. I'm about 15 or 16 episodes in, and it's only got one season out right now, if I recall correctly. But it's um, it's a good one. Is that on Netflix? It's on. Well, depends if you want dub or sub. Ah. I believe next Netflix has sub, and Hulu has dub and sub. Uh, I'm a sucker for dub just because uh, I tend to be looking away. Sure. Sometimes I'll be playing another game or doing something else or reading and listening to it in the background a little bit, but it's it's really fun. It's a good anime. Um, I'm also 300-some episodes into One Piece now. Oh, you're so still I going can, on I can One report, Piece. I can okay. report in. Still loving it. Still absolutely loving it. I'm really enjoying the show. I, I do think there's a ton of filler as, as some of these really long-running animes have. There's a lot of filler episodes, but some of the things that happen in that show are so fucking ridiculous that you just can't help but continue watching. <laughs> you got a small example you can float by me? Uh, Some wild? Yeah, in in uh, a couple arcs ago, there was a there was a guy that was a bad guy, but he ended up being a good guy, and he had this like he had like the the founding fathers curls uh, wig. <laughs> and, and that's what you're going for with your new hairstyle, right? Yes, that's, what okay, I'm, that's cool. exactly what I'm going for. Just so that I can do this. Basically, what he did was he pulls his tie, and cannons come out of all of the curls. And then he just, like, fires all of the cannons out of his curls. Uh, he ends up being a good guy, even though he's uh, disguised as a bad guy initially. But that was that was one instance that really, um, really drove home how nuts the... The anime itself is. There, there was another where uh, a guy. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. He eats. He eats. He's a captain. He's a. He's a bad guy. He's a captain of another ship, and he eats two of his crew members, and they like fuse inside of him, and he like spits them out, and they're like a four-armed like. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and wonderful. I I enjoy it a lot. But yeah, that's what's been. That's what's really been going on for for me. How about you? All right, so I got a whole lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I, I know uh, this first part of what you got going on. Yes, so, um, wait, do you? 
I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Star Wars stuff. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I buy you all those books? That's what I'm getting to. Except that's not the first <laughs> oh, part sorry, because it's not it, the first thing I, I had written down. First, I thought it was the first thing. I wasn't even looking. No, the first thing is the crime scene Cecil Hotel. I guess I'll get to that later. Yeah, it's not later. Um, talk about Star Wars, all right. you dick. I will talk about Star Wars. So. What, probably about three weeks ago or so now, um, we got pretty lit up on a Friday night just hanging out, um, and we were talking about the Star Wars TTRPG, the, the role-playing game, the Pathfinder of Star Wars, and you ended up buying me all of the source books. Like, a lot of books, all which I appreciate, man. It's awesome. Of, a couple of the, the more interesting-sounding supplements. Mm-hmm. So, I have started reading through those, and... A, it's a really, really interesting system um, from what I gather so far, and clearly I'm not an expert on it yet, but a little bit uh, as opposed to Pathfinder where you're rolling effectively a die and then have a bunch of modifiers, instead of all of those modifiers, most of your rolls in the Star Wars TTRPG are built around like a dice pool. Mm -hmm. So when you're better and better at things, you can add more and more dice to the pool oh, and sure. roll like yeah. a big amount of dice together. Um, so it's just kind of like, I, I, as I'm reading it, I have to kind of rewire my brain to understand some of those concepts because Pathfinder's just been drilled into me. Yeah. Um, but I've really been uh, enjoying it, and it's just a different way of looking at RPGs, and the art in those books is fucking fantastic. You know, that's how uh, the Vampire the Masquerade uh, system works as well. Oh, it's, really? It's, you, get more, you get more D10s for how good you are at a certain thing. I think the Star Wars system works somewhat similarly, but they have their own dice. Yeah, they're special dice. One of them, your standard dice that determine your success or failure is like the shape of a D8, but it has different shit on there. And then you can add D6s to positively or negatively impact that role. Or you could add D12s if something like really epic or really horrible is affecting the role. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And I've, like I said, rewiring my brain, but I've really been enjoying it. Who knows? Maybe we'll play it one day. That'd be a lot of fun. For me, it feels a lot like the Vampire the Masquerade system, but then modified like Fate. Where it's, yeah. it's like, it's not just a success or fail. It's a success with a with a condition or a fail with a condition and sometimes it can be like really bad and you failed and you also get like a negative i guess in fate they're like the hard move yeah or whatever where it's like you fail and something really bad happens on top of that or you get the like you fail but something weirdly positive happened because right. of that failure and, and in that way it's really again it's it's very unpathfinder like where you roll a die to see if you succeed or fail where in this, like, yeah, you could, if, if I'm shooting at a stormtrooper, I could shoot and successfully hit him, but have a slight failure condition where my gun is jammed now. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it seems really cinematic, and I would like to play around with it and just kind of see what we come up with, because I think it would be a lot of fun. I think it's fun to think about the implications of some of the success, uh, but bad thing happens and fail, but good thing happens conditions, mm -hmm. and how I think that really adds some flavor to... Uh, yes. To just things happening based off of roles, it's uh, it was an investment in my future. <laughs> you, you told me you told me I could play Wrecker from uh, uh, from the Bad Batch. yeah from the Bad Batch. So. And we, we bought you 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 picked up the Clone Wars books. I did too, pick up so. the Clone. I purposely picked up the Clone Wars books because I want to play Wrecker from the Bad Batch. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen, um, but. You know, I'm listening to a new record, uh, a band that I really like. I'm wearing the t-shirt today um, called Architects, put out a new record called For Those That Wish To Exist. 
It's so fucking fantastic. Like, it totally shreds. I really love it front to back, and anybody should listen to it. But I've also been still just churning through my Netflix, like, three or four episode murder mystery things. And there's one called Crime Scene Cecil Hotel, which focuses around this hotel in LA where this Korean Chinese student went missing. Elisa Lam is the name of the is is the name of the the lady. And I'm not gonna spoil anything, but later they find her and there's this big intrigue that is centered around the hotel and why she went missing and how she ended up the way she was and she did end up. But by the end it really took an interesting turn. There are a lot of really weird and interesting aspects to the case where the little mini documentary was able to make a really poignant assessment of like internet bullying and bipolar disorder and poverty in Skid Row in Los Angeles. So what looks like it could just be a pretty standard cookie cutter, either someone got kidnapped or killed documentary turns out to be this kind of commentary yeah. on, on human life. And it's really fucking good. It's only three or four episodes long. I would really suggest for people to check it out. You've been on this, like, murder documentary. I have been. For a bit now. This has been, like, four zone of truth that we've talked about. Consecutively. Because yeah. they're, they're tight, man. The Netflix ones, they're really well done. And they're only three or four episodes of pop, so I can get everything I need and be gone. Oh, I do need to, I do need to shout out one thing gaming-wise. Uh, it just entered early access, and my boy Zach from Thylacine Studios, he develops this game. He's in, he's in Ohio. Okay. He's an Ohio guy. I, I like him already. Uh, but it, it's, uh, you guys might have heard, heard me talk about the Serolim series, but it's called Serolim Ultimate. It just entered early access, uh, and it's probably the ultimate monster taming game i've ever played oh it's like it's it's got fusion like you can fuse two monsters together uh it's the chef's kiss beautiful so i highly recommend that if anybody's looking for a new monster taming game it's also infinite so the end game is like can just go on it'll have like procedural generated stuff yep, to yep. keep going mm -hmm. cool. all of the dungeons are procedurally generated and the way I've always, I've played Serlims one, two, and three, and now Ultimate, and the way I've always described the main story of the games is that it's like the tutorial. Okay. So the story, like, I mean, the story will take you ten hours to complete or whatever, and it slowly introduces you to aspects of the game. But it's like the end game is so expansive that you may as well just call the story the tutorial kind of how i felt about like assassin's creed odyssey like yeah. the story was huge but like once i got done with the main i didn't realize i was finishing the game yeah and the game was done but then i had a billion side quests and stuff to do so yeah that i, I like that kind of yeah and then you can just kind of be done with it when you're done with it right you don't right. feel pressured to like keep up with the story because you knock out the story yeah and it's it's just there's like over 700 monsters and they each have really unique abilities that work with each other and if you fuse them you can get two abilities on one monster and they really just completely change the way your party plays when you it's not like pokemon where the abilities are kind of secondary mm -hmm. they're really at the forefront good well let's bring something else to the forefront of the discussion here we I should th i think it's time to reveal a little something to the folks listening well i think we need we need Haley to lead us in here our producer Haley sitting in. Hello. 
Oh boy. Hey, every character art up on the screen. Yes, what you are seeing on screen right now is my character for the upcoming Bestow Curse 2E Curse of the Crimson Throne adventure podcast. Oh boy, if that ain't a mouthful, I don't know what is. <laughs> Steve, tell us, uh, tell the folks that are listening at home that might not be seeing this, mm -hmm. uh, what does this character look like? And then we'll start talking about him. All right, so I kind of have this character in an action pose. Um, he presents his mail and looks like a regular human. Um, he's kind of leaning back a little bit and has these glowing yellow, almost like halos around his hands. He looks like he's casting some sort of divine spell. Um, a rakishly good-looking fellow. I cast him after uh, Robert Pattinson. Mm -hmm. um, basically, he's got these high boots, uh, gray pants, this sort of army-ish looking jacket that's open. He's got a Henley under it that reveals a good amount of his chest. A little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, five o'clock shadow, bright blue eyes. Just a, a real good-looking dude. And and he's got a patch on his arm. Yes. Um, the patch on his arm that is proudly displays is the holy symbol of Aradin. All right. So that's interesting. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, what's his name? His name is Vicaris Relby, although he goes by Vec. All right. And he's described as a human. You want to talk about his ancestry? Yeah, I'd love to. So, right. He's, he's very human looking. But I did take a versatile heritage with him. This character is an Asimar, specifically a Lawbringer. So to dive into that a little bit, at level one, I took a lineage feat, Lawbringer, which um, basically he has a tie to Archons, the embodiments of heavenly virtues, guardians of the seven-tiered mountain of heaven and nurturers of law and virtue within mortals. I actually never knew where Archons came from. That was just a word I had heard thrown around that just sounded like divine heavenly beings. And, and they are, but they're actually from a, an ancient religion called Gnosticism, which was a, which is a first century uh, sect of Christianity and Judaism. Oh. Something I'd never heard of. But yeah, I had always heard the names Archon and associated them with like a lawful heavenly place. That's where they come from. I think it's interesting that Paizo utilizes, because you're going the lawful good angle with the, yes. with the Asimar, like that's heaven. Mm -hmm. And so they're utilizing the the religions that have initially thought of like heaven yeah. and and Archons coming from that. Uh, because because obviously if you were if you were chaotic, you might go to Elysium mm -hmm. and then you have what Azadas? I believe that's correct. Yeah. yeah. But but yes, um, one other thing that I did not mention of this character's art is that he has these uh, his his bright blue eyes actually kind of look like the eyes of the White Walkers in Game of Thrones, and that they are ice blue bright. And that is because I took another feat at first level, Celestial Eyes. They're the only indicator that this character has Asimar heritage. Otherwise, he looks completely normal human. Um, because I ain't getting caught in another campaign without Dark Vision. It's not yeah. happening. It's fair. It's fair. I can, see, uh, I can see why you might do that. So you have a very divine focus, mm -hmm. uh, especially you know as we're seeing from the art. But 
you can't be a cleric of Aridin. Aridin's dead. That is so true, Griffin. Um, so, I am not a cleric. I did not want to play a cleric. I am playing a cleric in another game. I am the healer in STF. Uh, I'm sorry, HTF. In Smash Finder, I'm playing a cleric too. Um, I got a lot of cleric stuff going on. I'm playing an oracle. So, going into Bestow Curse, I thought long and hard about what kind of party role did I want to fill. And I knew I wanted to be a caster because casters are very exciting to me and I appreciate them. And I feel like over a very long time, I'm just going to assume that this character is going to live forever, sure. um, that we're going to get a lot of cool development and I can really continue to challenge myself and be interested in the different spells that I unlock and the different sorts of things that come around with being an Oracle. So I knew I wanted to do something full castery. Um, we needed a team healer. So, so the mystery? The mystery was flames, obviously. <laughs> yes, obviously. Um, so I picked the life mystery. And to describe this a little bit, um, it is the never-ending flow of positive energy within living beings is palpable to you. You might uphold the sanctity of life, or perhaps you seek to undermine it. You might draw power from the collective vitality of the world's living creatures, hold some connection to the positive energy plane, or reveal, this is the important part, revere a collection of deities, including Irori, Phrasma, Sanrei, or the god of medicine, Kizong. So, in this way, my character, and we'll get into this at a later date, but has obviously this connection to Aridin, who is a dead god who can no longer power up his clerics. But, my character follows strict tenets and, um, and values so that his power is derived more from the concept of law and healing and this pantheon of different deities who may lend him little pieces and bits of what he needs to keep the party alive. It's strange that this character to me feels like a direct parallel to the religion of Corvosa itself. And I sure. say that because Corvosa was a Chalaxian colony, but was a Chalaxian colony at the time where Aridin was still around. And and, and yep. you, you see Aridin's impact in Corvosa. You see temples to Aridin that have been converted to be pantheons of the many, mm -hmm. to worship many of the um, preeminent uh I guess deities of Galarian in yep. one place because with the fall of Aridin, Cheliax fell as well. And so you see these holdouts in mm -hmm. Corvosa of worshiping good gods and that kind of thing. As you see Asmodeus kind of take over. Yes, although he appears young, he is a, a harbinger of an older time. Um, a time when Aridin was the primary deity over uh, Cheliax and, by extension, Corvosa. So, when I was creating this character, I did not come into this this campaign with the idea for Vec and say, I've got this great idea for a character, how can I make it work in the story? I read through the player's guide for Coast of the Crimson Throne, I read through the Corvosa guide, and I got maybe about halfway through that and basically each time I saw something interesting, I was like, okay, maybe this is a good time for a character. How would I make a character that would tie in? 
But over and over and over again, I kept seeing references to an old Aridin temple, a new Asmodeus temple, a new this because Aridin's clerics left over here or whatever. There were references over and over and over again. And although our podcast network has touched so many different important moments in Galarian history, one of the things that we've kind of overlooked is what started the present age, the death of Aridin. So I really wanted to dive into this giant, big, juicy piece of history that you can't ignore it forever. It's, It's super important. It's basically what made the the adventuring space we all play around in today right and it's not i think the funniest thing about adventure paths is how little they reference something that happened yes. so recently like a god died yes so recently like the death of eridan to any adventure path is more recent than like the Civil War to the United... It's almost it's, more recent than World War One in the United States right now. That's that's 100% true. So, to put this in perspective, Curse of the Crimson Throne takes place in the year 4708 AR. Aridin died in 4606. So, that would be like if there were people today that were around when Jesus died. Like, the main religion of the world. And I maybe that, that's improper of me to say that Christianity is the main religion of the world. It's just the the religion I'm most familiar with. But like if the main deity in your in like one of the 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 world's biggest religions was alive and there were people that were around when he was alive and he died within their lifespan. That's crazy to me that it that you're right. We're it doesn't get talked about. And you're in a setting as well where you know I know Aridin is the god of man and and so any followers that were worshiping when him when he died that you know did not unnaturally prolong their life yep. are dead uh you have elves and you have dwarves and you have many other long lived races that could potentially remember this happening like rem- yeah i think i think it's funny that you have these things in galarian's history and in other paizo uh other Paizo reference material, like the Gap, mm-hmm. you have elves that could know, like that that literally forget the first hundred years of their life because of the Gap, and yeah. it's the same deal with the death of Aridin. It's like you have elves and dwarves that were alive when that happened. Isn't it wild that there's we've never had a conversation in character when we bumped into like an elf PC that or NPC that we've been like, hey man, how was the world before the Eye of Abandango? Tell me about that. Right. Pretty wild, huh? Right. Like, like, how did you deal with the fucking two weeks of just like huge natural disasters yep. happening and that, that literally everyone was proclaiming as the end times and as Aridin fighting some immortal being like and it, it having these ripple effects on Galarian well it's crazy we're taking care of that now folks oh are we yeah yep. you know Paizo reached out there like we're looking for freelancers we gotta try to figure out how Aridin died yep <laughs> so all right, we got on a, a, a hair of a tangent there with the Aridin stuff, which I do think is super interesting. And I want to talk about Aridin more because I think there's some blank spots in people's knowledge or understanding of this deity that I'd like to fill in just to give this character a little context. But to dive in a little bit more to this mystery of life, 
Um, what, the, what, what it does for my character is that instead of getting eight plus my con modifier hit points every level, I'm getting 10. Oh, so it makes you more like a frontliner in, in the sense of in, in your hit point pool. Yes. Um, but I think you're going to see soon why I don't expect I need this those character to be a frontliner. Yeah. Yes. This is going to be very important here. Um, trained in medicine. I get the stabilized cantrip, of course, as a healer. That makes sense. I start with a focus spell. And this is why I think that I start getting those little extra bumps to my hit points. Because my first focus spell is lifelink. Basically, I cast this on somebody. They get a quick little d4 of healing. And then each time, rather each round, they get hit. I take three of their hit points. It's not every hit. It's not every hit. It's just the first time they get hit around, I take three of their hit points for them. This is something that always bothered me in in Paizo products, is that this is like a divine thing mm -hmm. that, it, much like Shield Other sure. as a spell, I always attribute something like this to blood magic. I don't okay. know why. I just default to like this, feels like, this feels like life for life to me. And it yeah. feels very blood magic-y. I, I get that it's like a protector type thing. And it's to, you know, it, it obviously is going to work really well mm -hmm. with this character as not a frontliner to be able to soak up some of the damage your frontliners are taking. Yes. But to me, these abilities where you're just kind of like linking to somebody and taking their damage or like, uh, it, it's all felt like uh, blood magic for, which I think we're going to actually see in, um, we, I think blood magic. I, I think blood magic would be something they wouldn't skimp out on on uh, secrets of magic in July. Oh, I'm so sure I'm we'll be seeing to see it there. That for yeah, but um, Steve, each oracle mystery does come with a curse. Yes, and again, I got a little bit more hit points because I'm gonna need them. So the curse that is associated with the life mystery is the curse of outpouring life. So life energy flows outward from you and connects you to all living things, but you expend your vital essence to do so. Your presence com comforts the sick and the injured, causes scars to fade slightly, spurs new growth in plants, and otherwise infuses your surroundings with vitality. You become harder and harder to heal effectively as you um, get deeper and deeper into your curse, but your healing itself gets amplified and at higher levels of the curse gets almost uncontrollable. Where if I have a major version of my curse and try and cast a high level spell, my character is going to automatically blast a, th a third action heal. Yeah, that's like, crazy. I think I think what's going to be really exciting, and I don't want to dive too much into you know the stuff you and I have discussed in the background, but what's really exciting mm -hmm. about this character is to is for us to kind of explore the negatives of yes. positive energy, the negatives of healing, the negatives of like, w what happens when you can't stop putting out this positive energy into the world? Yeah, the and, and, the, and the way I've kind of cobbled it together in my brain is that my character is such a conduit of, of healing and positive energy that he's, he's got that infused in him, and when he disperses that out to the world, it kind of forgets how to work on him. Um, so he's going to get pretty hard to heal himself, but is kind of unintentionally selfless? I don't know. I'm really looking forward to exploring the RP potential of somebody 
who, yeah, has difficulty healing himself, even though he is uncontrollably healing the people around him. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm so excited. Well, we talked about uh, Robert Pattinson as who you cast this character as, which yes. great casting because... Hey, he's big right now. He's big right now. Um, great actor. I think mm-hmm. I, you know, I think Irene did a really good job of kind of capturing not exactly him, but like very close yes. to how I would, you know, if I were to cast him as a fantasy uh, character. Mm-hmm. But did you have any other inspirations for this character? Maybe not just an actor that played them. I, I do. Yes. Um, Everybody basically who listens right now knows how important music is to me. And when I'm formulating new characters, oftentimes I will be listening to something at the same time that whether intentionally or unintentionally informs the creation of whatever character I'm working on. I I think you're the easiest example is you've got you've got Saw and Sawyer who are I was listening to tons and tons of Beartooth at the time. Um, and a lot of the subject material there is um, issues with uh, self-image and uh, abusing uh, substances and stuff. So I channeled a lot of that into that character, and I really love how it came together. When I was reading the guide to Corvosa and starting to put together my thoughts on what this character would be, one of my favorite bands in the world, uh, The Wonder Years, put out two songs. Um, they were recently celebrating the 10-year anniversary of an album that they put out called The Upsides, basically their first album. And so what they did was they went back and released two new songs that were... They had like basically written these songs a long time ago but never recorded them. And they recorded them in the style of their songs from 10 years ago. So they've matured a lot, but they kind of went back to like their punk roots and stuff. It's a lot. They're a lot of fun to listen to. But... These two songs, Breakless and Out on My Feet, have a theme to them. They're, they're pretty similar. Um, they, they're songs that tell a story. They're effectively ballads um, about a person who is exceedingly poor and frustrated with life. And it's the middle of winter in Philadelphia. And they're just trying to get to work. Yeah, I'm sure you're (laughs) well familiar, Griffin. Uh, They're just trying to get to work. And across these two two songs kind of explore the, I guess, kind of indulgent thought of life is so difficult right now that, and and this is highlighted more in the song Breakless, cutting the, the brake line on my bike and, you know, getting hit by a bus or whatever and dying. Like... And that in, in that way, it looks like an accident and you don't have anybody feeling real bad for you. But it's just kind of like, man, is, is life so bad right now that death would be easier? And I'm not playing a suicidal character, obviously. I'm not, I, that's not something I want to explore. But just those kind of emotions informed kind of what I wanted to do and led me towards this life mystery of positive energy coursing through my body and wreaking havoc on me, but at what cost? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to bring a impoverished character into the story of Curse of the Crimson Throne because a lot of what it explores is kind of this income inequality, this yes. this class inequality that is like mounting and building and and what what really happens to the the lower class 
when shit hits the fan in a city, like what happens, and you're gonna be the like prime example of what happens because you're you're living it. Yeah, and that's that's a lot of what kind of informs this character and and coming from these songs being being really down on your luck and thinking that could it get any worse? I, I'm I know those are some heavy concepts to play around with, but I'm I'm excited. So unlike Chris's character, which you know he he doesn't necessarily live mm-hmm. in the the you you live in Old Corvosa. Correct. The the impoverished part of Corvosa, but your living situation is a little different, um, and so you're the first that I'm interviewing here that's that's bringing family into the the equation. Yes. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. So um, my character, once upon a time, has was part of a family that had some prominence or at least had, had a business attached to their name, a family business. A dock-owning um, family in yes. Old Corvosa. Yeah. And things aren't going too hot. The parents are out of the picture because um, he's, he's kind of young. His parents his parents are gone. They're, uh, I mean, I can say it now. They're, they're no longer with us. They're, they're not living. Um, but he is taking care of his elderly grandfather, which Griff and I, we've talked a lot about how that relationship is going to look like. And... Um, there are some concepts there that I'm also very looking forward to playing out. Yes. So yeah, I, I think last, maybe last zone of truth or live zone of truth. We talked about one of the questions was what is something you're looking forward to in this new show? And it specifically it taking place in one spot. And my answer was having a deep connection to somebody there. And that's the deep connection that I was starting to allude to. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting that we can, I know we have characters, obviously, on HLP that have a family, but it just moves so fast, and it's so it's so location, location, location of an AP that you don't really get to explore that extensively, and I think we're going to have so much time in Corvosa, it's just going to be really interesting with your connection with your grandfather, with your connection with other NPCs, to explore some of the relationships that happen. Yes. Yeah, be, you know, it... At the end of the day, in the HLP, when we get done beating up the weaver worm in the woods, the four of us are just gathering around a campfire and moving on. When we get done beating up somebody at Asconor Lodge, we're going back to our rooms and move on to the next town or whatever. At least how I, I've been sold this campaign, once the four of us get together and fight something, we're all kind of going home. You, guys you gotta go like, somewhere. You, you gotta go home like somewhere. A, you guys are like a club. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to Adventurer Club. Uh, we're all gonna go. I'm gonna meet up with my three other friends. We're gonna kick ass, and then I'm coming back home, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bring you dinner, Grandpa. Right. And that I think that's going to be important. Is that that's that's going to be a lot of our ties to the city and a lot of our motivation is that there are people in the city that we care about. We can't just pull up roots and move on. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I took a couple notes to about old Corvosa that I'd like to share with people if that's cool, Griff, because yeah, yeah. old Corvosa is is going to be so important to this character's identity. Uh, the city of Corvosa is rather large, but I'm going to talk about this little sliver of it called o- old Corvosa. Do you know why it's old Corvosa? Because uh, it's the older part of Corvosa. Well, it was actually the island it's on was the original settlement of Corvosa. That's right. 
at the mouth of the Jagare River. How we pronounce it? Jagare. Okay. I always pronounce it in my head as Jagare. Yeah, I I struggle with it. I because I used to think it was like Jagar. I think it's Jagare. I don't know, but it's it's like a it's a it's a noble family. There you go. The people that discovered Corvosa. So discovered, heavily yeah. quoted. It's the Christopher Columbus of, of fucking Corvosa, I guess. Yeah, oh yeah, huge quotes around yeah. discovered. Um, this district is super, super, super poor. Um, they contain much of what are called the shingles. Basically, there are many, many houses and buildings crammed together on this island, and there are too many poor people to be supported by those buildings. So what they have done is started to build on top and on top of that and on top of that, on top of these buildings. So somebody will, you know, so, some poor some poor person will put a little like shanty on top of an existing business. And then over time, the next, the, the next building over, another shanty will pop up and then the next one, another shanty. And then on top of those shanties, another shanty will be built. So you it's have actually- stacks. It's really interesting. I I think that old Corvosa is going to be so important to the characters that I know we have mm-hmm. that um, I incorporated the art of it into our into our logo. Yes. So I have a new logo out there. It's in our Discord, but it's it's the shingles and the crossings. So it's where it's where you actually get over to old Corvosa and you just see the the four the quadruple decker buildings yes. that are just like tents and frames so so why did i want to set myself in old corvosa this this area contains a lot of old dock spaces and i kind of wanted a character that was tied to the docks i'm a logistics boy at heart everybody knows this um i need docks i, I, need, I, I need my docks I, around I, me <laughs> Um, I took international trading lore. <laughs> I actually took lore mercantile, lore mercantile so not too far. Um, uh, there, are, there are lots of tenement buildings. It's the old uh, seat of power. There are mar- entire markets where they trade things that are clearly stolen. Um, there are flop houses, brothels, bars. And there are a couple places that I wanted to highlight that I thought were kind of important. There's one, res- or I was going to say residence, that's not the right word one business, I guess, called Exemplary Excurables that was built in an old temple to Aridin. Mm-hmm. It is this theater where they put on shows of fake murder and torture. Um, but there's always kind of been this question, how fake is it? Um, additionally, there's an attached museum where they put things on display like aborted fetuses and this guillotine from Galt. Uh, really just kind of gross stuff. And that helps inform me that I want my character to be close to this to see the ruin that has come to this great temple of Aridin. All that sounds very close to Zonkathan. Not that I've ever heard of it. No, it doesn't sound right to me. Doesn't sound right to me. Couldn't be. And then uh, there is the final temple of Aridin in this uh, this section of the city, this sector that is literally being kept alive by three diehard clerics. They just hold it down. Boys. Every time they come up short on rent, they hold a little fundraiser and just locking it down. Your boys Huey, Dewey, and Louie. That's right. <laughs> locking down the air and worship. Yeah, when I saw like 
Okay, I want a character to be poor, do logistic shit, and be an Aridin worshiper. Check all three boxes, old Corvosa. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's classic because of his just jackass of a personality, but like Asmodeus wouldn't want his temples on old Corvosa. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't want the uh, you know, he he's there are temples to Asmodeus in the wealthy areas of Corvosa. Uh, whether they're, you know, more hidden or not is depends on the area, but Old Corvosa is rough times. Pretty pretty absent of the uh, Asmodian worship. Yes. But yeah, that's Old Corvosa. Yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about about Aridin or do we touch most of it? Um, we touched a couple things. I do just it it if it's okay with you, I'd like to just do like a two minute overview of who Aridin is because a lot of people I feel like this is surprisingly a blank spot in their knowledge. Well, yeah, or it's like okay, it's a dead god, so I'm not going to read too much into him because I, I I can't make a cleric of him. Yes, like I, oh, I'm I'm making a cleric. Guess I got to go Iomidae, so I forget forget Aridin. I, I won't learn about him. Yep. So here we go. Um, uh, Aridin was this immortal Islanti human who ended up raising the Star Stone from the bottom of the Inner Sea. That is like the focal point of the timeline. That happens in one AR. Um, That's because it's uh, what's AR stand for? It's oh boy, I should know this. Absalom reckoning? Maybe. I, I think, think that sounds is. right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when he founds the city of Absalom, becomes the patron deity of humanity, and is prophesized to lead humanity into this age of glory. Um, to take it back a second, he was born in, in the twilight of the Islanti Empire thousands and thousands of years before what I just described with the Starstone and Absalom, where he was a blacksmith and apparently a really, really good one. He forged these swords and forged a, one particular sword that was so powerful it was going to be passed on to the next emperor of Aslan. The emperor the current emperor went to Aridin and said, "Hey, give him my sword, bro." Well, no, not necessarily. He said, <laughs> "Hey, you are you're so powerful, you're so amazing. You made this incredible sword. How about you pick who it should go to?" And he brings out this like pantheon of dudes who apparently like all sucked. And Aridin said, "No, none of these guys are worthy." I'm going to keep it. Back in the sheath. Got him. Uh, so, it, it's. It, I don't know that it was ever proven, but it was rumored that this kicked off Earthfall when the Elgothus, the um, creepy uh, kind of Cthulhu-y Cthulhu uh, beings that were infiltrating the Islanti Empire heard of this. They're like, nah, fuck it. Time to bring it down. Uh, well, they're very aquatic. Yes, yes, very, very much so. Which explains Ruins of Aslan, right? Exactly. If they were to bring down the Aslanti Empire and make it like Atlantis, mm -hmm. they better be big, big old fish with tentacles. Wait, are you saying there's a parallel between Aslant and Atlantis? What? I'm not just saying it, I'm spraying it. Wow. Imagine my surprise. Imagine. How bizarre. How bizarre is that? So, um, so... Aridin brings uh, a bunch of refugees of Islanti to Avistan um, and then goes on this weird vision quest or whatever where he explores the outer planes and starts to expand his consciousness and perspective and meets a whole bunch of different folks there. When he returns, he's immortal. 
He becomes the patron deity of Taldor. Eventually, when his clerics migrate out of Taldor to Cheliax, he becomes Cheliax's patron deity. This is when he raises this is the Starstone and starts doing all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, Absalom gets besieged by the crazy sorcerer Nex, defeated, kicks his ass, no big deal. Uh, kicks Tarbafon's ass, no big deal. Travels to Axis, sets up his own little domain, and then. Eventually, yeah, he gets a city. Axis is weird because Axis is like you got like a, a subdivision. Cities. Yeah, you got yeah, like a subdivision it's, it's in like, there. Here's my city in all of the cities that are all connected mm-hmm. because it's. I mean, it's the Axis's order, right? And and so after he travels to a- Axis, he starts to lose touch with humanity. And over the next several thousand years, some he's he becomes more and more um, of a douche. People say that. Yeah, I, I said it. But yeah, after all these incredible things that he's done, he starts to become almost disinterested, it seems like. Um, the the wizard Tarbafan comes back as a lich, and instead of going back and dealing with this problem that he failed to complete, he sends his friend Arasni. Um, Dude, Arasni is one of the coolest deities yeah. You need to read more about Arasni. I don't know anything about Arasni, but I know he sends Arasni to go fight Tarbafon, and Tarbafon just whips the shit out of him or something. So This like, doesn't go well. I'll, I'll go on a tiny tangent with Arasni. Arasni gets defeated by Tarbafon, killed, mm-hmm. brought back as like a banshee queen Dope. by Geb. Dope. So Geb, obviously the... I mean, let's be real. Geb is probably at least as powerful of a necromancer as Tarbafon himself. Brings back this hugely powerful person as a unwilling undead nice. forces her to do evil shit she finally breaks free as a deity and is now like there she she was the deity of the knights of last wall like still cares about them but it's like a neutral evil deity of like wow. undeath and all this stuff and it's like her huge thing is she fucking hates unwilling undeath like, understandably right right but like she she's such a cool deity um wow yeah she's like she's the perfect deity for somebody that gets gets brought back like for whatever reason unwillingly and is like you know somehow i know pathfinder's a little weird about undead always being yeah. evil but like it's like i never wanted to be a fucking ghoul or whatever yep that's i need i need to read more about her that sounds fucking awesome um but after he kind of dispatches her to go check it out and fails to follow up on it, he really only ever appears uh, to fight the demon lord Discari in Sikoris, and that's and nobody else has really seen him since then. Uh, then this important prophecy, uh, known as the Starfall Doctrine, basically is proclaiming that in 4606 AR, Airden's going to come back and kind of reset everything and get everything back. The way it should be going. He's going to fix everything. Imagine Cheliax's surprise when... Yep. Because they like they set things up for him to come back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this entire nation, all of these people, humanity in general, are counting down the days to their God's return. They're like, Jesus, Jesus is coming back this day. Let's get ready. We got it. It's we got it. it. So the, it was written. In the bag. And then on the day that he's supposed to return... Instead of bringing around this new age of glory, um, Galarian is racked with three full weeks of storms, and the Eye of Abandango, that giant big old hurricane, starts turning down by Gurren. 
but I'm going to be a hurricane now. <laughs> yep. And once those three weeks were done, all of Aridin's clerics realized they could not reach him anymore. So he must be dead. And nobody knows how or why. And everything's been fucked up since then. That's about it. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but Phrasma has like a, like an emissary that is suspiciously like Aridin. Yes. They're like described as like the, the spirit of lost divinity or something. Yes, and that that brings up another thing that's really interesting, that followers of Aerodin, obviously not necessarily clerics, but just people that believe in his old tenets and stuff that are still around, kind of hate worshippers of Phrasma. Yeah. Because Phrasma is the goddess of life, death, and prophecy. So she should have known that Aerodin was going to die. And maybe she did and didn't tell anybody. And so there's always bad blood between Phrasma and the old Aerodin holdovers. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So obviously I did my like go down the rabbit hole, learn everything history about one specific thing for Aridin, and I am so invested in his story. I'm so invested in uh, old Corvosa and by extension the city itself um, and how I can fit my own little character into all of this really, really cool lore. I know I sound excited, and it's because I am. I can't wait to start this show and start we're getting, playing. We're getting this real character. fucking close. Yeah. We're getting real fucking close, my friend. We are. We are not far away. Whew. That's pretty much all I got for the character. Unless you I mean, have any uh, other questions. I love him. I think he's really cool. cool. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to listen to you play him. Did you? Uh, did you have any? You don't have to like do the voice, but do you have a voice in mind for him? Sure. So the voice I'm heading towards is somewhere in my mind is somewhere of a mix between like a an English or Australian kind of blend. I'm going to take some things that I like from both. Um, What's Vicarus Railby? Pleased to meet you. You can call me Vic. Um, So, yeah, it'll be something like that. How about you don't have to give the we're doing the free archetype system. You don't have to give the archetype, but is there any teaser you want to throw out there about his archetype? Um, yeah. So I, I won't say it right now because I basically have until level two to decide. Okay. Um, but it is going to be healing focused for okay. sure. Gotcha. So you're going to double down on the healing. Yes. Well, I guess good, good luck for me to kill any of you. Forgot this uh, super healer over here. I, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, if I really wanted to play like the most min maxed healer, I would have just rolled up a cleric and had been done with it. This this character is not going to be the best healer that's ever graced two e, but he's going to do a pretty damn good job of it. Well, I think that's the beauty of two e is that you don't need the best healer to have ever graced two e to skate by. There you go. Yeah. And and the fact that you're all getting ancestral paragon and free archetype is just going to make you these really diverse and capable characters that are going to be able to kind of overcome some of the stuff that maybe a not as not as upgraded character might struggle with yeah I see Haley uh, pulling up her microphone looks like we got something going on over there yeah so there is a question here from Demuth it's not asking what the idea is, but just if Griffin has an idea for what happened to Aridin in this AP. 
have an idea for that. Like in this AP particularly, or in the, I guess I guess I'll use it as in the hideous laughter version of Galarian, uh, because if I make it canon here, it's going to be canon everywhere else. Yeah, be careful what you uh, say. <laughs> I, I yeah, I do I do have some ideas of what happened to Aridan, and I think I also have some ideal ideas by virtue of knowing the players that I play with and potentially with this AP uh, extending it to a 20th level AP to uh, to see what the tr- test of the Starstone is as well. So I think that's stuff that we might actually explore in Bestow Curse, which could be really fun. It, obviously, none of it will be canon unless I tell I invite Eric Mona over for dinner. <laughs> well, I, 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 that's fair, and I feel like that's the like death of Aridin and a lot of the Starstone stuff is very intentionally left vague, much like your gap before Starfinder, where you can, re- if you wanted to, like play around with that and make up your own explanation, you can because it I, is very vague. It's, it's one of my favorite parts about Galarian lore is the stuff like like the death of Aridin and like Geb and Nadal, where it's mm-hmm. like it's purposely a little bit vague because they haven't done an adventure there and but they've given you so much little tidbits that you can really make something your own yeah. i'm very very excited for that all right griff well i think we got to move on man because we got we still got some stuff to get through tonight we How do get some stuff we got some stuff but you know I'll, I'll say it now now that we're both on bottles i was gonna hit you on that there you go i'm okay Cheers. to go a little long Ooh, i could do that too what are we up to next? All right, we're going to play a little game. This game's called Backup Blue Roulette. Um, and everybody knows what we're doing here. We're going to imagine that we're a player on the HLP. For me, it's not very hard, but for Griffin, it might be a little bit of a stretch. Um, and your primary character that you play in, or that you play as, has died mm-hmm. in one of the books. Damn it, Horace. You got to roll for a new one. So we're going to be randomly selecting a race, class, profession, and book that we died in using dice. Then we're going to take a minute or two to kind of just vamp about how we would insert a new character following those rules. Sure. Let's start with the book. Griffin, I'm going to need a D4. Roll for yourself, please. I brought some dice to the table this time. I got a two. All right, so you're coming in at book two. Think you can do me a favor and roll me a D4 yeah, for me? Yeah, I got you, man. You're coming in at three. Okay, okay. Good stuff. Um, give me a D100. How about that? I can do this that. This is going to be for your race, and we're going to be using the expanded reincarnation table. 50 on the nose. 50 on the nose. Okay. You're a book two half-orc. Half-orc, okay. Yeah, give me one. You are 38. 38. I got a gnome. Oh, gnome, okay. All right, I don't really play gnomes, but let's see how that goes. Um, We're gonna do classes next. How about um, we've got 42 options, apparently. So I'm just gonna <laughs> allegedly roll gonna roll me a D42. D42. Damn it, Steve! We gotta buy a D42 for, for this specific segment. All right, Griffin, you got a 12. Okay, so what does that put me at? Going to be. You are going to be an alchemist. A half orc alchemist in book two. I love it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Where am I sitting? 
two. Ooh, that's gonna be a gnome. Bard. Gnome bard in book three. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, have a, I have a great one for you. <laughs> I I think I might know where I'm going with this. Um, okay, so. We're going to do a profession next. We're going to be doing the same thing, except it's going to be a D30. Roll D30 into Google. Griffin, you're 20. Oh, boy. It's going to be... Middle of the road here. You're a Miller. Okay. Pretty good. And then I am going to roll as well. I really should roll again. Yeah, you, you roll again. You can't Cause, duplicate. Because we're both going to be Millers. Well, if I'm a gnome, I could be Miller Lite. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm doing four. That's going to put me at a butcher. Butcher, okay. A gnome butcher that is a bard. That's difficult. <sighs> All right, let me know when you're ready to go. All right. Ooh, this is this is a little tough. This is this may be my most difficult one to date. Okay, so I think what I would like to do is I'd like to come in at Herbstag. So you remember when you guys were dealing with the the white infestation in that town, all the children? And oh then yeah, the, that was one of my favorite. And then uh, like Master Brother Swarm, mm -hmm. the the swarm of bees. I would like to make a ectoplasm master alchemist. Ooh, tell me about that. So an ectoplasm master kind of, uh, they make ectoplasmic extracts. So they, basically everything they do revolves around dealing with in incorporeal. Mm -hmm. They, uh, especially ghosts. So all of their extracts are, um, it kind of expands your formula list unless you add all sorcerer and wizard spells of sixth level level or lower from the necromancy school to your list. So I could be bringing back the dead okay. with animate dead and that kind of thing as an alchemist. Um, but it it replaces brew potion, so I'd be I'd be more like I. Basically, what I want to do with this character is I would be a half orc ghost hunter. And I'd be the way I would flavor this ectoplasm master is that I would be I'd be very much like a ghost hunter, like trying to get trying to get the stories out of um, the places where there are haunts or there are incorporeal undead. So I think he would be he would come into contact with the party, all, doing his own research into the areas that the Beast of Leopardstat ravaged, and he'd be interested in like communing with the spirits there and either putting them to rest or like or learning about them learning about the wraiths there and their abilities and how he can use that in his alchemy okay but, uh they have ectoplasmic mutagen whenever the ectoplasm master imbibes a mutagen his living flesh transmutes into ectoplasm causing him to take on a semi-liquid form he no longer gains a natural armor bonus from his mutagen but instead becomes immune to critical hits and precision damage uh, while under the mutagen's effects and you have to be six levels to learn that discovery but fuck yeah 
I wow. would be six level. You would be, yeah. Be coming to the party with that. So it, it kind of, you get a little bit of like the ooze factor there. But um, the the Miller thing, I think I would, uh, that's that's the toughest part to integrate into this, honestly. Um, maybe, maybe he's using his ectoplasm to find the best spread that he could put on bread, put on toast. Yeah, it's very good. Yes. That's great. I love it. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, that's what I do. The half work thing, I mean, I think, I think half work is a great, in Ustalav especially, a great race to be when you're playing a class that is already kind of like in, like it, like certain alchemists are, like already kind of socially ostracized. I think, I think you can get more esoteric interests when you, when you're kind of, pushed away from the traditional norms and i think yeah. that's how this character would come to be he would be you know he probably wouldn't be allowed in the university of Leopardstadt. he wouldn't be allowed to but he's very intelligent wouldn't be allowed to study there and so he'd be a Leopardstadt native but wouldn't be allowed to study at the university of Leopardstadt, and so would pursue his own like he realizes that uslav is such a haunted land that he would have um It'd be so beneficial to study that kind of thing. And he's got these haunts in his backyard, all these wraiths tooling around. Yeah, he's just he's heading out into the bog for the for the wraiths and the hawking. Right. I love that to death. That's really good. So my gnome, my <laughs> Jesus, your gnome bard, my gnome bard, who I some somehow have to fit into being a butcher as well. Um, I'm going to have him at Askinor Lodge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, the archetype uh, that I want to take for Bard is going to be the animal... Let me see, what what's it actually called here? Animal Speaker. So I figure the way that he fits in at this lodge is that he can use the special Bardic performance that he gets, um, the soothing performance to calm wild animals while people while dumbasses like Duristan are trying to hunt them. Okay. All right. But Duristan is only hunting the, the werewolves. Right, and that's the thing. I mean, well, Duristan it when we meet him is hunting the werewolves, but werewolves are not the only thing they're hunting at Askinor Lodge. Yes, there's yes. stags out there. There's so bears. You, you would you would think he's like a he's a somebody that works at Askinor Lodge? Yes. Okay. He's kind of like the guy that goes out on like a diving trip when you're you're like vacationing or something and it's like oh not seeing a whole lot of sea life gonna chum the water a little bit get him over here like he brings the animals in and uh, i guess he makes them slow and dumb while he performs while he performs so these like rich assholes that come out there to like trophy hunt uh shoot him in the back or whatever that's hobbit leaf making them slow and dumb hobbit leaf jeez um but yeah, weirdly, also this this archetype gets something called attract rats. So at sixth level, I can use bardic performance to summon rat form. <laughs> just that sounds like something that Reeve would do. One hundred percent. I'm the rat man. Um, but yeah, and he can all this this character also has summon nature's ally on their uh, added to the bard spell oh, okay. list, which That's is cool. Kinda, so they yeah. get like the you know because druid gets that instead of their. Like a cleric gets heal spells that can mm-hmm. replace the spontaneous heal spells. So Druid gets the summon nature's allies spontaneous replacement spell. It's weird that, <laughs> that as a bard There's you a, get that as like a version of bard in there too. Yeah, a, a version of bard that gets that too. See, I, I was hoping you would be one of Durstead's boys. 
One of his lackeys. One of the guys that gets fucking red-shirted. I thought about that, but I don't know if I could do that in good conscience. So, I guess when he's not leading people around to um, get these super easy kills as he uh, makes the animals slow and dumb, I guess he butchers this the dead animals back there too to get the butcher thing yeah, in maybe there. he's like maybe he's their preeminent like taxidermy guy sure yeah like he it's i mean he like butchers them for food but yeah. then he like does all the taxidermy to get the remember there was like the one room the trophy yes. room where you had all of these crazy well i'll tell you what somebody playing a pc that is the taxidermy uh profession is long overdue on the hideous laughter production network I mean, all I have to say is stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Ooh, is that a insight into one of our future Bestokers characters? Taxidermy expert. I don't know. I don't know. She's vigorously nodding her head in the uh, the producer seat. <laughs> oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I think that tips uh, tips her hand a little Tip bit. Tip her hand. All right. Well, I think that is probably our our run through of backup roulette. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good one. I, I always have fun doing these. I, I have fun when I get something I can really think on. I really, I feel like we, <laughs> no offense to the system, because the system is very random, but I feel like you, didn't you get Alchemist in book two? Like I 100% did, because I had, I, yeah, I had, oh, and I might have got Butcher Alchemist. Yeah, yeah, I yeah did. you did, because you were like, yeah. I basically make Dr. Viv. Yes, that's what I did. It was yeah. easy great okay i, I want to get like spiritualist or something for one of these i can't believe we haven't we uh, yeah i don't think we've gotten any like super crazy class. class i remember yeah i got like the kasatha ranger last time i was like sweet there's just a racial archetype for that perfect don easy <laughs> um okay how about we move into our calling question of the night yeah all right Haley, if you could run that i believe this is from our good friend eric Hey gang, this is your buddy Ten Lawn Gnomes, and I was wondering, since this is the second town, as of current episodes, that you have entered that seems to be openly hostile to the party, I was wondering which town do you find more unsettling? The pitchforks and torches mob, or the not sure why they hate everybody cult? Thanks, bye. So basically, which do you find more upsetting, the uh, the Lepidstadt mob mm-hmm. or the Ilmarsh just general populace that are, you know, both are kind of your classic villagers in any horror trope? Yeah, I think there's a real answer and there is what I feel answer. Sure. The real answer is, obviously, I'm more frightened by the pitchforks and torches, because I'm immediately going to get killed. I mean, you guys directly got attacked by that. Yes. You, you know, but but the thing about that is, you know what's coming. You know what you got to do. Run away or fight or whatever. Where you move, go into... So many horror prim, uh, horror movies have this premise. Moving into a new house or a new uh, village or town or city or wherever, where everything seems a little off... That is much more inherently scary to me than just, oh, shit, people don't like me here, gotta run, Frankenstein style. Yeah, I think it's really telling that in Ilmarsh, like, the mayor confided in strangers because he's afraid of what's happening in the town. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's such a... 
that's such a strange circumstance to have happen that I think that's much more of a red flag than a bunch of people drunk on cider that just want to kill an abomination against nature. Realistically, I mean, the beast... Think about the beast if you hadn't met the beast. Like, that is a, that is a creature beyond the gods that is you think is wreaking havoc i could yeah i can almost empathize with the townsfolk in that scenario because they've been fed this idea of the beast of leopardstat for 10 years like this monster has been attacking the countryside and now they have him and why would you do a trial why would you do it just kill this thing this thing isn't a human it's not a and none of them know that he, you know, has a mind and can think and can have feelings. And the beast was like super fucked up too. Like if I, in 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 body, like if I went home after this, and my neighbors came to my door and said like, "Hey man, got this Frankenstein creature with like a tentacle arm and like feathers on a leg that's running around and doing crazy shit. Want to help me kill him?" I'd be like. That's my responsible thing to do as a citizen to my town <laughs> is to help my neighbors kill this fucking crazy creature. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the more concerning thing to me is definitely the eel marshers. Yeah, throw me in the wicker man and I'm I'm worried. Right. I it's mean you almost, you almost got thrown in the wicker man, I guess, if you hadn't dispersed the crowd, but by the same token Oh wait, no, I I, I see the issue here. You're thinking about the wicker man from our campaign. I'm thinking about the Nicolas Cage movie, The Wicker Man. Oh, okay, I got you. Common mistake, common to make. misconception. Uh, I, I think in terms of what is more dangerous to you, at face value, obviously it's a mob. Mm-hmm. I mean, that mob was dangerous to you. Yep. And it's just the the logistics of dealing with hundreds of people is terrifying, but. I mean, what's going on in that sixth room? That's right. And I think there's some other, like, implied, potentially implied creepy things with the, like, keep looking over your shoulder type of town, this this cultish thing. I'm thinking, like, an invasion of the body snatchers situation or a lot of the Lovecraftian stuff, the, those stories, where... Maybe I'm less worried for my life, but my sanity and my identity. I might, I might not die. I might not get like strung up and burned alive, but I might get absorbed into this super creepy cult or whatever that worships God knows what. Dagon. <laughs> I, yeah, that's true. We know exactly what. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that probably does it for the calling question. Uh, Haley, do we have any questions from our uh, our write-in listeners right now? So I do have some listener questions here. Uh, first one coming up from by Polish Juice Tart is: If you had to build out Vec in one E, what would you change for a bit more customization towards what you wanted? That's really, really difficult. Uh, I can I can do it almost exactly, I think. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I would do a Paizen Oracle, that archetype. 
just because I know a little bit about where Steve's character is going, that one is very focused on like life linking yes. and taking damage. Um, if I were to make Vec a little more frontliney, I would do Paizin and a little bit of Paladin, but I don't think you're trying to be frontliney. And so I think Paizin Oracle is like the epitome of a life oracle yes. which is what you're going for and what you're doubling down on with your free archetype so i think i think that would be the the perfect uh analog for vec yeah you hit it out of the park that's i mean i've never heard of that archetype before but that's it's exactly really good what i'm going for it's one of the best oracle archetypes that's, if you want to do like healing that's excellent yeah that's exactly what i'm looking for all right we got another one actually about vec as well Ooh. will vec know diego before the game starts I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Chris, Chris and I have have talked a little bit. I don't think our characters would have crossed paths. I think Chris and, and my characters will end up becoming very, very good friends because he is a barbarian who, do, who does lots of damage, but also probably takes lots of damage. And I can shoulder a lot of that. So I think we're probably going to bond quickly. Um, but I have talked to other members of the cast, and I will have some relationships uh, with those folks leading into our adventure run. All right. Another one about Vec. Got a lot of them right um, in a row here. I understand. If you, again, built Vec in 1E, what curse would you pick? Ooh, that's, that's interesting because the curses in 2E and 1E are very, very different. I honestly am pretty unfamiliar with oracles in Pathfinder. So, do you know, Griff? Um, I think the thing about Vec is that his his curse is more... In, in 2E, like, the life oracle curse is much more about a, an outflowing of your benefits and a selfless thing. Mm-hmm. Um but just knowing a little bit about Vec, I'd say like haunted would work. Okay, would work pretty well. I think a, a person that um, I, I feel like haunted in some ways doesn't always a hundred percent translate in first edition to actually being like haunted by a spirit and more being haunted in your own spirit. So. Instead of having a malignant entity, it's more like having trauma. Sure. And I think that that would probably work pretty well for Vec. Uh, just having having a wealth of background of being the poor and the downtrodden type of character would relate well. But I, I mean, there's other stuff. I yeah. <laughs> Honest, honestly, uh, as as you were describing that one, I just pulled up the one E uh, curse curse list and looked through them, and I would really, really struggle to find a good one that fit the character for what I want to do. But there is one called God Meddled, which I think is could potentially do it. Uh, it is a curse available to oracles who have tumultuous relationships with the gods. Okay, sure. Yeah dead god and maybe has a questionable relationship with some of the other ones um but effectively if i'm reading this correctly when you cast divine spells you roll a d20 and then crazy shit happens you so could, you're like a wild magic sorcerer or whatever kind of yeah yeah, yeah. 
on an eight to ten, you shrink by one status size oh, yeah, category yeah, okay. for a round. Uh, likewise, eleven to thirteen, you grow. Um, nineteen to or eighteen to nineteen, you are able to understand all languages for one round. Um, there's some really weird and random stuff here, and although that's not quite where I was going with the character, that kind of destruction of self while you are channeling all of your essence into your spells and your healing at least I feel thematically could be a parallel even though it's not perfectly what I had thought for the character. Yes, it's tough because you're not, like, the the life oracle in 2e doesn't have a good parallel like uh, charred hands or like Mm -hmm. the the, like withered, the, uh, the one where you lose your movement speed the one where you go blind, like that has a good parallel. Some of those have good parallels in Tui. I don't feel like the life one does. Nah, I don't. I don't think so. But I think it'd be possible, but just not. It would. He wouldn't be the same character in in one e. All right, Griff. I got a yes or no for you. Mm. Will Losco exist? No. In Corvosa. No. Okay. Oh, I actually didn't know that. I just was. We got a lot of Losco and. There's also Corvosa set up. It's a very much a city. I couldn't see it having something like that. I mean, that. there might be something else. Yeah. Anyways, all right, Griffin, another one for you. Um, oh, sorry, that last one was from Blart Daddy. Uh, this next yeah, you gotta one. Tell us who's asking these. Yeah, yeah my Get bad. The credit. My bad. Demuth asked, "What curse would you pick?" But well, we already talked about that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Bipolish Juicestar asked. Griff, what mildly threatening creature or trap do you think will cause the first character death? Are you going to call your shots now? Ooh. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very interesting. I think there's a potential that a character, uh, if a character goes into the Jigare River, a jigsaw shark might kill one of them. All right. All right. Okay. Shot called. Put it on the board. I just think I, I, I just think something. There's there's some stuff nearby water, and if if the water happens, it's something that first level characters are not very equipped to deal with. All right. So we have one from Sir Newt. It says, "What about the Lady Full of Ghosts? Is there is there going to be any Lady Full of Ghosts in Curse?" And I will answer just from, it won't from, be from an alien perspective. It won't be it won't from be me. A, so okay. if there's any other Lady Full of Ghosts. Anybody else know about that? Uh, I haven't thought about my backup character yet, but I could play a lady full of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I I have an item full of ghosts if you want it. Alright. <laughs> or a castle full of ghosts. I thought we cut that out. Well, we're going to cut most of that. <laughs> so, the last question I've got here is a, a really good last question. Are you guys ready for that? What do you think, Steve? For what? We ready for a last question of the day? Oh, I thought that was the question. I was like, no. ready for what? What are you? Are What's you ready for me? Question? The question asked, "Are you ready for me?" <laughs> All right, it's from anonymous. No. no, yeah, I think that's cool. Let's roll. All right, this is from Bipolish Star. It is in multiple parts, so let's start with part one. Steve, pick three Star Wars characters now. Uh, boss. Uh. Erica Quell from the Alphabet Squadron books, and then I'm gonna go with somebody from Legends. Let's go, uh, uh, Sava Sabatine. Okay, Griffin, pick three Digimon now. Uh, okay, let's go Grand Kawagamon. We're gonna go 
obviously Piximon, and then finally we'll do ooh Impmon. Yeah. All right, we're gonna face these three Digimon against these three Star Wars character. What? Who wins the fight? Grant Quagmon cuts them all in half immediately. Um, who do I got? I, I forgot who I. Okay, so who's on my team? I had Bosk who is just a non-force adept hunter, um, very powerful in his own right, but yeah, probably is not going to fare well against a digital monster. <laughs> Irka Quell, well, it really depends if you get her in an X-Wing or not, because she's just a fighter ace. Um, if you get her on the ground, done. If uh, maybe she's like bombarding yeah, you from orbit. Yeah, because my Digimon are going to be drive piloting X-Wings. Well, right, and that, see, that's, that's why this doesn't make any sense. But. Uh, Maybe if she's like bombarding you from orbit, maybe she has the chance. And then Saba Sabatine, um, very powerful Jedi Master, but if we're dealing with like crazy digital shit, I mean, I'll, I'll give the edge to Digimon on that one. Piximon, we'll Piximon is uh, is a fucking ultimate level Digimon that could literally spear something from a mile away. He's only this big, so small target, and. Uh, and that's like that's not a, Grand Kawagamon. Oh, so is, is, would you say that he's about the size of a Wamprat that we used to bullseye on Tatooine? He's about the size of a Wamprat. Grand Kawagamon, by by contrast, is like bigger than this room, and has these immense scissor-like teeth that uh, because he's a large beetle, uh, which I feel like could. He's got four arms. He's kind of humanoid. I think he could tear some. He's like a General Grievous, but like better. And and then Impmon is literally the son of Satan. So, Fair. all right, all right. So Digimon got that one, uh, and here's the the very last of this three part question. Oh, it's a three parter. Oh boy. What grouping is hotter? <laughs> because we all know high level Digimon are mostly big titty right. anime right. girls. You, you got lucky. I didn't pick a big titty <laughs> anime Digimon. Yeah. I think I think I gotta give that one to the Star Wars characters. Yeah, for sure. Because Ipmon is literally like a twelve year old boy. And and Piximon. Pix- <laughs> okay, well then you just fail automatically. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Piximon is like a head with arms and legs and wings, and then Grand Kawagamon is a four-armed man with a stag beetle head. Yeah, as all all of my characters are at least fuckable and not uh, uh, underage children. Yeah. So yeah. All right, that's it. That's. That's wow. the last of it. So one point to Star Wars and one point to Digimon. Tied. Phenomenal, phenomenal final question. That was perfect. Well, I just got to say thank you everybody for showing up today. Thank you for you. Uh, thank you for your questions. We're gonna head into the after party in a second, um, but uh, I guess I guess is there anything you want to say, Griff, while we're wrapping up? Just finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks or in five minutes in the After Party channel. Later. Let's get it.